Oh, hi. I'm your host, Kyle Brownrigg, and welcome to Best Actress, discussing Best Actress and Best Supporting Actress Oscar wins, who we feel should have won, and why. The nominees for Best Actress are Angela Bassett in What's Love Got to Do With It? Stockard Channing in Six Degrees of Separation. Holly Hunter in The Piano. Emma Thompson in The Remains of the Day. Deborah Winger in Shadowlands. And the Oscar goes to Holly Hunter. Hello and welcome to another episode of Best Actress. Today we are going to be talking about the 1994 ceremony year win for Holly Hunter for the movie The Piano, directed by Jane Campion. Jane Campion became the first female director to be nominated at the same time as the uh, Best Picture uh, was nominated. So the she was nominated for director and the movie that she directed was also nominated for Best Picture. But the first female to be nominated for Best Director was Lena Wirt. Miller for the movie, I'm going to pronounce this so wrong, uh, Pascolino Sette Beleze uh, in 1975. Um, and uh, Jane Campion recently won the Academy Award for Best Director. So this is a very uh, Jane Campion year. And I think that it's a very, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get into it mostly about Holly Hunter, but we'll talk. And uh, today we are joined by um, a friend, a comedian. Uh, she just recently finished doing two fantastic tapings for CBC Television for the Halifax Comedy Festival, which will be out later this year. It's Fiona O'Brien. Hi, Fiona. Hi, Kyle. Thanks for having me back. I love this podcast. <laughs> so for anybody listening, this is like our 17th attempt at getting this recording happening. We have <laughs> been having so many technical difficulties, and I'm just so pleased as punch that it is over with. And Fiona, thank you so much for bearing with me and for um, for us to finally be able to do this. It was all my fault, so... Uh... I don't give a shit. <laughs> I think it, I think it was also my fault too. I think we were both contributing here. I think it, we're we're both guilty of it. Uh, but we we got it working and and, and we're good to go now. But before we do get into these movies, I do want to say so. 1994 ceremony year. So uh, best picture went to Schindler's List. Best director went to Steven Spielberg for Schindler's List. Best supporting actress went to Anna Paquin for The Piano. We did that episode. That was one of the first episodes that we did on this podcast. I believe I picked Anna Paquin as my winner, but so many people. People were angry that it was not Winona Ryder for The Age of Innocence. But if you want more about that, listen to that episode. Uh, Best Supporting Actor went to Tommy Lee Jones for The Fugitive. I do not understand that win. That's a different podcast. And Best uh, Actor went to Tom Hanks for the movie Philadelphia, a.k.a. uh, the reason why I never had sex in my early 20s. Okay, (laughs) so uh, let us talk about all of these movies. But before we do, I just want to ask... Fiona, how are you doing? How's it going? I don't remember the last episode that you did for the show, but what have you been up to since then for our listeners? Oh, I have been, uh, because we're back doing live comedy, I have been flat out doing loads of shows and it's just so brilliant to be seeing audiences back out and everyone seems hungry for comedy and I am delighted to be away from my children and... (laughs) 
I'm delighted that my son came out last year and has given me a whole new 15 minutes of material. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. So are you guys going to be going to the Pride Parade this year in Toronto? Uh, I'm not sure. I asked him, did he want to? And he's letting me know. But we are, as a celebration of his coming out, uh, going to see Lady Gaga in August. Oh, that's so awesome for the Chromatica Ball. Yes. I had booked it and then COVID hit. Right. How much were the tickets? Oh, God, she's, I can't even remember. Back then, I was like, it doesn't matter. You've come out. So I'm just like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not looking. <laughs> yeah, it's like the moment that any gay person comes out, it's like we immediately get Lady Gaga tickets in our welcome basket. <laughs> yes, I was in this yeah. goodie bag. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, that's really funny. Okay. Well, that sounds really exciting. I love Chromatica and I'm a big fan of Lady Gaga. Have you heard the new song that she wrote for Top Gun? I have, and I have seen the video. What do you think? Um. Yeah. <laughs> it's not. It's not what you expect. It's different. I have. To me, it screams that she was given a week to come up with something, and she just <laughs> threw it together. She looks fabulous actually, in the video. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think in the, I think she, in an interview was like saying that she'd been working on it for years and she wanted it to be this big, slow, sad, epic rock ballad. It's, it's kind of, it's, it's growing on me, but the first time that I heard it, I was expecting something a little different from Lady Gaga. Yes. Well, while my son was like, well, it's not Berlin, take my breath away. I was like, no, it's not. Ah, well, that's right because, and and you would think because Berlin, take my breath away, that is that was my ringtone from like '07 to like a week ago. Like I love that song, and it was my I I I love it, and so and that had that distinct like like it was such a distinct. So I was expecting Lady Gaga to have you know something a little bit yeah like a strange sound or like a weird computerized because that's what she's known for, and it just. I guess her unexpected now is to do something safe. Anyway, that's a <laughs> that's enjoy the chromatica ball. So we're going to be talking about the 1994 um, ceremony year for the best actress category. I've actually already done the supporting actress. So you had selected this year for Holly Hunter, and I just want to know. I always like to ask my guests, like, why did you select this year? I selected this year because I'm going to get very passionate when we get to talk about it, about Angela Bassett in What's Love Got to Do With It. Oh, okay, fair enough. And I am excited to talk about that one too, because there's a lot to unpack there. So let's jump into our first actress. And again, this is in no particular order. Um, let's talk about Emma Thompson in the movie The Remains of the Day, which we kind of have like a bit of a repeat movie situation because you have... Anthony Hopkins in a very stuffy British film and he's like emotionally distant to women that are passionately in love with him but they don't know how to communicate it in a way that doesn't infringe on his British sensibilities I don't know but talking about the movie The Remains of the Day so this movie was actually nominated for Best Picture um, that year and it is Downton Abbey-esque. Yes. Emma Thompson plays like the Mrs. Hughes of the house. And uh, Anthony Hopkins is like the head butler of the house. And um, the description on IMDb is a butler who sacrificed body and soul. And that's like his whole thing for the movie is that he's so dedicated to service. In the years leading up to World War II, realizes too late how misguided loyalty his was to his lord lordly employer, and basically the reason why is because ooh, he loves Emma Thompson and they have this unrequited love and she ends up getting married and having kids and a family. And then in the end, they just never get together. It's just a sad, 
British film. <laughs> and I was expecting the Howard's End moment to come in because Emma Thompson previously won the year before for the movie Howard's End. Um, I believe she was also nominated for a supporting actress for In the Name of the Father for this year. So Emma Thompson, this is like her career was really hot. Um, I love Emma Thompson. I love her very, very much. But I find that there was like a slew of movies like Sense and Sensibility, The Remains of the Day, Howard's End. In all of these movies, it's like she kind of was playing the same similar sort of character. Yes. A little bit. Um, So this is not unfamiliar territory, but I love Emma Thompson. I love watching her. I think she's a treasure. Dame Emma Thompson, I, I think it is. Um, what did you think about this movie and uh, what did you think about this performance? I had to brace myself for watching it because I knew what was coming. <laughs> well, seen, have you seen, you've seen it before? I'd seen it years ago on like VHS when I was a teenager <laughs> and I think I probably fell asleep. Um, mm. I, like you, I love Emma Thompson. I think she is so talented and so wonderful but so typecast around these years and holy shit. I mean, my thing with this movie was she was hardly in it. <laughs> I know. I made a note of that 48 minutes in and we've only seen her twice. Yeah. She was hardly in it. Um, It was more about, obviously, Anthony Hopkins' character and the house and, and the serving and all the Downton Abbey kind of stuff. Um, uh, I don't think it was Oscar worthy. I think mm. she's a wonderful actress. I, I don't know, were they short of women to nominate for Oscars that year? I don't know. Yeah, well, during this time in history, you know, um, this roles for women, like Oscar worthy roles in each of the five nominees, like basically from like the mid 90s going back to like, well, just since the history of the Oscars, there usually is like one or two genuinely Oscar worthy roles. And then there's three filler because roles for women are just not there. And I talk about this all the time on this podcast. So to... So like what you're speculating is probably true. Uh, they're probably just, yeah, wasn't really like meaty parts. Yeah. Because I do agree with you. There's some fantastic acting coming from her, but she's barely in the movie until kind of near the end. And frankly, I found that a lot of her motivation for her character a little confusing um, because I think that the relationship and the unrequited love between Emma Thompson and Anthony Hopkins could have been a little bit exposed explored more and a little bit more clear because frankly i did not get that he was in love with her at all no no I like didn't i i do you know like it, it and if it, if that was supposed to be clear then it could have been clearer like i understood that that was what was going on but it was subtle and i didn't like that it was subtle i wish that because emma thompson another thing that i found very very confusing was that um she was extremely passive aggressive toward him. She was constantly questioning his authority. And I know that from watching shows like Downton or um, when you watch like Gosford Park or these, these types of movies where you're, you know that there's a, a an order and a hierarchy of um, authority and the head butler being constantly questioned on, on his decisions and the authority of, of, of uh, his decisions and, and, that especially coming from a woman like at this time in history like that wouldn't really be a thing so it's like oh like he's letting it slide because he's in love with her but from like a modern perspective like a modern point of view it just looked like she was just a very sassy woman who was like 
it so it, it just seemed like historically inaccurate to me. It didn't seem like he was just letting it slide because he was in love with her. Yes. Yes. I, I don't I I found her very lackluster. Um I mean she was she's a fabulous actress. I don't think they gave her enough lines. I don't think they gave her a good enough role. Mm-hmm. You know, um I think Anthony Hopkins, obviously an amazing actor. The two of them were great together to see them on screen, but it was like it was missing script. It was missing something. It's. I think the thing that I felt was missing was the fact that she kept inexplicably coming for him. She kept inexplicably wanting his affection and and and... And it was like, okay, if you are in love with him, I need to know why, because he seems like a robot. There is no reason in my mind why you would be in love with him. And I'm finding it very tricky to navigate through this, this, this plot. And I'm, I'm finding it very frustrating. Maybe I'm not like sophisticated enough to understand it because I also didn't appreciate Howard's end. But the point is, is that, um, there was just a lot of missed opportunities for me as a viewer. And I, um, uh, I just felt like Anthony Hopkins for me was the more interesting yes. uh, person in the movie. And um, okay, let's talk about things that we did like though. So for example, like um, whenever uh, he comes to her, uh, whenever she's crying and uh, he'll say something like, he'll find her bawling her eyes out and he'll just be like, oh, the alcove needs dusting. And he doesn't even acknowledge the fact that she's just... <laughs> weeping on the floor um the way that those those scenes are handled between the two of them are very nice and they work very very well together yes um and they've had plenty of practice (laughs) yeah i mean was there any kind of moment that stood out to you where emma thompson was really bringing it where she was really shining was there like a favorite moment from her that you had I th- I nearly feel I was nearly shouting at the at the screen when she came back from the pub and he was saying to her, um, "You're late, you know. We're running a house and you have to be here on time." And blah 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 blah. And, and she she was nearly like she was goading him to show some passion. It was nearly like she was. Sa- you, I could see in her face where she was just pleading for this person to show her some sort of bloody emotion so that she could then reciprocate and go. I feel the same way. So I mm-hmm. thought that scene of them when she had come, she'd come back from the pub, but she was quite late coming back in. And he was like, oh, there you are. And, you know, we have, you know, and he was kind of giving out to her. And I think she was like, oh, he cares. I thought that scene was really good. I mean, I also like when years have passed and, you know, she's had kids and um, they're like walking on the boardwalk yes. and she expresses regret And Anthony Hopkins kind of responds in a way by saying like, yes, I guess that we all have those thoughts sometimes. And you can still see that she's desperately trying to communicate to him and he's not allowing it to happen. And then the thing that just breaks my heart at the end is when um, she says goodbye to him on the bus in the rain and there's this longing that they have for each other. And, and that those moments and those scenes I'm like, why couldn't we have had more of that? Yes. Why didn't we explore more of that? Because it just felt like there was way too much of the World War II and the racial discrimination. There were themes of religion that, frankly, I didn't really think um, were explored well enough. I, I, I felt that they were a bit unnecessary. 
and really the story is between Emma Thompson and Anthony Hopkins. And I just feel like they didn't go into it the way that I liked as the viewer. And as a result, it just made the movie really boring. Yeah, it, it's, it was boring. You're right. The last 10 minutes of the movie was my favorite 10 minutes yeah, I because, <laughs> because I knew it was nearly over. And then, yeah. it, and then we got some good chemistry between them. Um, and his lines right at the, I wrote it down. I think this was the last line. And she says, and he was like, I was too busy serving. In other words, yeah. he had given his life up to be a butler and he didn't um, go into any other part of his life, explore any other part of his needs, emotionally, physically, whatever, because he was too busy serving. Uh, and I think nearly that was his apology to her. And and that those last few scenes when they meet later on in life, you're right, they were great. And if it mm -hmm. had been more of that, I wouldn't have been uh, surfing on TikTok and playing on my phone. <laughs> <laughs> It's too subtle. I think I think it was just too subtle for me. And I also the the part that um I think I, I think though that my favorite scene is whenever she does come back, she says that she has accepted this man's proposal as a way to sort of get a reaction out yeah. of him. And then she doesn't get that reaction. And then she says, We make fun of you. Yeah. We laugh at you behind your back. And then he reacts in this sort of I don't really care way, but you can tell that it hurts his feelings. Yeah that I think was probably my favorite moment. But again, it's like, I just wish that there was more of that because there was just this inexplicable character of Emma Thompson where she was just in love with him and coming for him, but there was no context as to why and why she would keep coming for him when he was literally like lurch from the Adams family when it came to expressing himself. Yeah. Yeah, it was very you know. much the stiff upper lip British... Yeah. thing which I'm like whatever <laughs> okay so a couple of facts about this movie this is one of four movie roles for which Meryl Streep has ever been turned down for however this is actually not true because she did get the movie but due to budget cuts they decided to just bring in actual British actors um, so she did have the movie role but then she lost it um, this it, there were four of England's country houses that were used in the creation of Darlington Hall with a movie that the the big castle that this movie takes place in and uh, it was this movie was nominated for eight Oscars and lost every single one of them fun <laughs> okay so let's this is going to be like an easy transit or, or sorry do you have anything else that you would like to say um, to Emma Thompson's performance before we move on no it wasn't Oscar worthy and um, the movie was kind of boring um, and yeah that's it. <laughs> fair, fair enough. Okay, so let's talk about, and this is literally just the exact same movie, Deborah <laughs> Winger in the movie Shadowlands. I, because I messaged you when I started watching this, because I watched these movies back to back, not knowing what they were about. And I'm like, holy fuck, is this the same fucking movie? Because in this movie, you have Anthony Hopkins, who is, again, emotionally distant, emotionally unavailable, and he's playing C.S. Lewis, the author of the Chronicles of Narnia books, you know, very famous author in, in the UK, or worldwide, really. And um, in this movie, Deborah Winger plays Joy Gresham, uh, the American who comes all the way over to London and eventually marries him and falls in love with him. And their relationship, of course, from Anthony Hopkins, again, is a reluctant acceptance of uh, of wedding proposal. And then he eventually, this time you actually see him fall in love. So it, to me, because I watched these movies back to back, it just felt like a continuation of his character finally having the opportunity to feel love and to be happy. Um, so 
what I'm trying to say is that my focus was mostly on Anthony Hopkins in both of these instances, but, um, you know, Deborah Winger here, this is her third nomination. She's previously nominated for an officer and a gentleman in terms of endearment. I do see, um, a similar performance from Deborah <laughs> Winger in the movie Shadowlands from terms of endearment, because about halfway through the movie, you find out that she has a terminal diagnosis of some sort of a cancer and then she's in a hospital bed yeah. and she's dying. And, you know, we've seen this from Deborah Winger, but I would say that I can understand why maybe Deborah Winger would be nominated over Emma Thompson. I think there was a little bit more um, in terms of relationship between um, Joy and C.S. Lewis. And you got to see their whole relationship from beginning to end. And I liked that aspect. I understood. I had the context of why they were together, why they fell in love. Um, have you had you seen this movie before? And, and what did you think? Yes, I'm going to agree with you totally. Nobody dies of cancer better in a movie than Deborah Winger. <laughs> right? Nobody else in the movie should be dying of cancer unless it's Deborah Winger. She does it so well and there's always a child left behind and it's yes. so heart-wrenching. I just love it. I, I could watch an hour, two hours of Deborah Winger dying in a hospital bed. <laughs> so she brings it. She brings the thunder. <laughs> she does. And so I had seen this movie again on VHS and video years ago. Um, and I remember just kind of being kind of a little bit like Remains of the Day going, oh, I prefer yeah. Anthony Hopkins eating people. And let's <laughs> <laughs> get more of that happening. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so I love Anthony Hopkins. Like I have a secret crush. It's not secret anymore. I have like a weird fantasy crush on Anthony Hopkins. I just think he would have been the most amazing lover and partner in my life if I was like 30 years older. Um, <laughs> but so I enjoyed this movie again. Um, I thought Deborah was really good in it. I, and, mm-hmm. um, I think she definitely deserved to be nominated for an Oscar, um, I I loved the storyline. I loved the scenery. I loved the script. I, I I really enjoyed this movie, and I loved that it was a bit of a tearjerker, and that you got to see him actually see a full emotional range of his acting. Um, again with her, again I've seen her do this before, but she was a bit more. I don't know. I th- I thought she played this really well. She was quite subtle. I I did have one or two questions about her character, but. We can get into that. <laughs> okay. Well, no. Let's. Li- I mean, this is this is the time. Like, yeah. what? I'm wondering. Did like it didn't make it very clear. What did she know about any of this diagnosis, or had she been sick? Because suddenly there was this woman writing to C.S. Lewis, and she seemed to want to get into right. a debate with him, and she wanted mm-hmm. to come to England. And when her marriage was falling apart in America, suddenly decides I'm coming and I'm going to visit you. So please make yourself available. Like it was very. She had a mission. (laughs) Crazy, and she was on a mission. And I was left thinking, did she know she was going to get sick? And did she know, okay, my husband's a waste of space and isn't going to raise my child properly. Who will I get to raise my child? And where's a nice place? (laughs) Do you know what? That guy who wrote the line, The Witch in the Wardrobe, who lives in a big house in England. Yeah, (laughs) That's what I was thinking. I mean, I think let's just throw out some Nancy Grace wild accusations here. I think, yes, I think that she totally like was like, I am going to go international crazy on this fucking author. I am going to show up at his place of work. I'm going to stalk his life because she eventually gets like a divorce, moves to London, doesn't say anything about it. And then she just wants to make it clear 
that they're just friends. And then you're like, well, if you're just going to be friends, then why did you seek him out? And now you're like serving him tea and crumpets and going on about like being like, it was, it was very, um, uh, I, I found myself asking a similar question. I was like, is this calculated? Are you doing this on purpose? Because it all just seems very suspicious. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I think what I love about her character is that she's witty. She's confrontational whenever her like stuffy uh, British or whenever Anthony Hopkins, one of his like fellow scholars, you know, like starts talking to her and then she he's being very passive aggressively academically bitchy and she comes right back at him and she's like, are you trying to be offensive or merely stupid? And the way that he is just like slack jawed because he just wasn't expecting that from her. I mean, especially from an American yeah. speaking to uh, an academic at Oxford, right? Um, I really love that kind of um, moment. And it was really nice sort of seeing her be that like witty, sassy kind of character. But also um, you see like the really vulnerable, weak sort of, um, not weak, that's the wrong word, the vulnerable quiet strength that she had of trying to be like a single mom, but also like uh, having her guard up and not wanting to get into a relationship with Anthony Hopkins because clearly, you know, in the love department, she's had some bad luck. Yeah. Oh, Um, I can relate. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The acting is very convincing. It's, it's, it's very well done on both of them. I think they had, and if you think about it, kind of Deborah Winger, Anthony Hopkins, that's kind of a weird pairing, but they actually had really wonderful chemistry. Uh, but I do think that uh, the movie could have been about 45 minutes less. Yes. Yes. I think so. There was a lot of lifting her wheelchair in and out of an ambulance and a lot of uh, rolling around <laughs> the garden. They could have cut that out. Yeah. Um, I think that whenever, you know, uh, she asks um, him to let her go when she's like dying in in, in bed and uh, he... Um, insists on sitting by her side you know that's a very touching moment that that you know made me a little teary that made me um emotional i think that comparing it to the remains of the day um i'm watching this type of performance and i'm connecting with it it's a little boring but like you know i have an emotional connection to the characters i have an emotional connection to the story i'm like deborah winger is really selling it for me yes yeah um I have a couple of facts from this movie. So the title Shadowlands is from the Chronicles of Narnia, um, The Last Battle by C.S. Lewis from the chapter called Farewell to Shadowlands. And another fact that I found interesting about this movie is that Barbara Streisand was asked to direct and star in the movie, but declined so she could pursue the normal heart, which she never made. Oh, Um I'm trying wow. to think because didn't the normal heart recently come out? I haven't heard of that one. Yes, it did. It came out with Mark Ruffalo and um, Jonathan Groff. And uh, I believe it was who won a Golden Globe for this performance? Because this was on HBO. Matt Bomber. He won because um, I believe in that HBO movie. I think that he has HIV and I believe he dies and it's very sad. Um, but anyway, talking. We'll we'll stop talking about HIV and get back to Deborah Winger. Uh, get back to cancer. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, there's there's nice moments. I mean, what Deborah Winger and, and uh, Anthony Hopkins they get married 
for citizenship and then it actually turns into like a real you know romance and a real a real marriage was there any kind of night like specific moment that stood out for you that that was particularly uplifting or that that you really appreciated from from deborah winger um do you know what? Not really. The, the, for me, the biggest moments were kind of between Anthony Hopkins and her son. I just really loved how gentle and how good he was with them. And um, those moments stood out to me. Um, I just felt so, like I said earlier, Deborah Winger. I mean, she. I, how did she not get that script and just go, eh, I don't know if you've seen Terms of Endearment, but... <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> we've, we've done this yeah yeah, yeah. Could, could you just i've shot those scenes in bed already um like i i thought <laughs> maybe she, maybe that's why she took the roles because she'll only take on a movie if she can do half of it from bed from bed yeah i, I swear yeah. to god i would <laughs> um i thought she was lovely i i her her character gave me those sorts of questions like i said earlier about why did she just pursue this guy and she was going hell for leather and just showing up and um, but I thought she played the sassy New Yorker, but very uh, well-read um, and intelligent woman and a single mom. I thought she played that all really well. And, you know, I also just like watching her her whole journey because you you the only like really change that you see from Anthony Hopkins is just the fact that he is just emotionally distant and then suddenly he's not emotionally distant anymore. And that's kind of his journey through the movie, which fine. But, you know, with Deborah Winger, it's like you see her... Um, kind of come in from another country. She's an immigrant. She's obviously um, a fish out of water, if you will. And then she's very reserved. And then she eventually, um, you know, asks for a favor to get married to him for her citizenship. And then she slowly falls in love with him, even though she still respects his boundaries. And then they eventually like fall in love. So it's, it's really nice to just sort of see like a full journey for a character where I feel like with Emma Thompson, for example, in The Remains of the Day, it was just... It just was happening and you had to just accept it and there was no explanation as to why something was happening. So with Deborah Winger, it was just nice to watch her full journey from start to finish. Literally. Literally. <laughs> um, okay, so do you have anything else that you would like to add to her performance before we move on? I think she deserved um, an Oscar nomination for this. I think she did a great job and, and I enjoyed it, even though it was a little bit slow. Um, I enjoyed it and I thought she had really good chemistry on screen with uh, with Anthony Hopkins. Perfect. Okay, so um, moving on, let's talk about Stockard Channing in the movie Six Degrees of Separation. Oh, sweet Jesus. Oh, sweet Jesus. <laughs> this... I have never, I've heard of this, I've heard the expression six degrees of separation. And what it is, is that it's the theory that we're all separated by six people. Like, like you uh, listening to this podcast, wherever you are in the world are, let's say, connected to the president of the United States um, by six people. And um, this whole movie is clearly based on a Broadway play. It is. It's like watching a play. So if you're not really into like stage plays and watching this type of format of movie, um, like Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, for example, you are really not going to enjoy this film. So basically, um, okay, so I'm going to give a very quick uh, little um, synopsis of what this movie is about. But basically... 
um, an affluent New York City couple played by Stockard Channing and Donald Sutherland uh, find their lives touched, intruded upon, and compelled by a mysterious black, uh, young black man, uh, Will Smith, uh, who is never quite who he says he is because he is a con artist. And he is so obviously, clearly a con artist because the number one rule about lying is you don't include too many details in your lie. He was like giving out facts and listing off all of these things, claiming to be Sidney Poitier's son and just listing off like all of his records and his awards and his friends and yeah. giving all this backstory context. And then Stockard Channing and um, Donald Sutherland are just soaking it up because they're these super rich waspy, um, you know, they live like next to Central Park. They're uh, just the definition of white privilege, high society, socialite people. Um And this uh, uh, movie, this is um, based on a real life New York socialite named Inger McCabe Elliott, uh, who had this entire experience with, you know, this con artist claiming to be Sidney Poitier's son. And um, she basically told this story to screenwriter John Guerre or Guerre. I don't know how that's pronounced, but I'm probably pronouncing it wrong. And um, basically uh, this whole story is a recount from the perspective of the rich waspy family about Will Smith and his ridiculous stories. Because when they start comparing and telling the story to their friends, their friends also are like, oh, I had this exact same experience from the same person. We're going to be in the movie Cats. And it is just like one really long storytelling monologue from rich waspy New York people. And frankly, the only interesting part of the movie, in my opinion, is Will Smith. And he's we're, he's not the person that we're going to be talking about. We're supposed to be talking about Stockard Channing. So anyway, um, had you seen this movie before, what did you think about it? And what did you think about Stockard Channing? Oh, Jesus Christ. Um, <laughs> let me tell not you. Not my fave. Let me yeah. tell you. <laughs> I dated a theatre actor in Ireland for two years. This oh, movie no. was giving me flashbacks and PTSD. <laughs> I felt like I was trapped at one of his live performances when we were dating and I had to pretend I was enjoying it because everyone was so, they were like, oh, wow, theatre. And I'm like, holy shit, get me out of here. Um, So <laughs> it just was so like you were sitting in a theatre and watching, like you're saying, a live performance but not not a very interesting one um yeah <laughs> i thought the movie jesus i i mean i was just sitting there going give me a break through the whole bloody thing um and and donald sutherland's a fabulous actor um and i think stocker channing's wonderful the movie was absolutely painful i know <laughs> painful now I think the woman deserves an Oscar nomination for learning that bloody script. That was a huge oh God, script. Mm. They never, you know, that's, n never stopped. That's really interesting that you say that because about an hour and a half into the movie, I'm thinking, why was she nominated for this movie? And then I thought, I'm like, you know, because she actually was reprising her role for um, from Broadway because she was nominated for a Tony for Six Degrees of Separation for Best Actress in a Lead Role. And so... 
Um, they just, you know, also gave her the the movie role, which is good. But the whole time I was watching it, I'm like, I feel like they're probably giving her the Oscar nomination because it's like a career Oscar. And also because of the fact that um, this is, she is like, there is so like, it's like, it's like memorizing a textbook and then reciting the textbook. Yeah. That, that, that was a note that I made. So anyway, I, I cut you off. Sorry to interrupt no. you. But yes, I, I, I agree. I agree with that. Yeah, so, so that, that that's exactly, what, like you're saying, there was so much in that script. Like, I actually think I'd nearly, I would never do it to myself, but I could watch that again and hear other things um, yeah. in there that I missed because it was so script heavy. Um, you know, and I was kind of intrigued because I read the overview before I watched it. And I went, mm-hmm. oh, this kind of looks good. Um, and then when I started watching it, I was like, oh, bollocks it's a fucking theater <laughs> on te- on in a movie um yeah. i don't know whether it just didn't translate maybe it's better live i don't know because it's it's a hell of a feat to get all of that script and get all that acting and like they did a good job it was just painful in movie form that's my view of it I know. I mean, my thing as an audience member that I become so frustrated by is if you're watching a movie, it is a visual media. Why are we watching it like a play where, you know, we're forced to have to watch this two dimensional set in an audience like that makes sense? It's like, of course. And, they, and even in plays and stuff, they get very creative with how they change the sets and how they change the setting. And they get very creative with how they do that. Like, for example, in the movie, um, the piano whenever they're putting on that little play and they have the severed heads like in the sheets like that's very clever and that's very interesting where in something like this you're like this is a movie and i'm very aware that i'm watching two people in front of a camera and i'm just listening to a very long monologue or a recount of something that i just it's just it's a missed opportunity when you're working with a film with a with like a visual media and frankly if we're talking about stalker channing's performance here um about I wrote 54 minutes in and her performance is extremely one note. There's not really a lot of like range to her performance until the end yeah. when she suddenly takes this moral high ground compared to Donald Sutherland. She has a phone call with Will Smith because, you know, he's on the run from the law. Somebody has committed suicide as a result of his actions in a way, which obviously Will Smith can't really be convicted for that, but he can be convicted for... Um, you know, uh, for being a con artist and conning people out of money and and, and things like that. But, um, you know, at one point, Stockard Channing just has this sympathy um, for his character whenever he calls her. And, and she starts to see that um, he's kind of like a victim in this in that because of the six degrees of separation, it's like he's just trying to survive. And um, suddenly then it's like she's realizing that, like, we're all human and that she is born into privilege and that she has her own advantages in life that he didn't. And he's just trying to try his best to get by. And then she starts fighting with Donald Sutherland at the end. And frankly, I just, I wasn't convinced that she had changed or why she had changed. And, um, you know, she is defending the significance of Will Smith's presence and the experience in her life and how much of an impact he had on her and how it gave her new perspective, but it all felt so rushed. Yeah. And just in terms of the performance, um, it's a very wonderful performance from her in the last like 15 minutes of the movie because she has empathy and, and she's sympathetic to his plight. But 
leading up to it, it's very one note, in my opinion. And frankly, I felt that the way that they did the movie and I felt that the script was super boring and it was extremely painful and I was thrilled when it was done. I also think that the only person that should have been nominated for this movie was Will Smith until I found out that he refused to kiss another man in the movie uh, because Denzel Washington told him not to kiss another man on screen because it would harm his career. Obviously, this is a different time in history. Um, he later regret saying he later regret doing that. He said it was very immature on my part. But then he went on Oprah a few years later saying that uh, him kissing another man on screen would just be so embarrassing. And you're like, you're a fucking actor. Yeah. Actors are embarrassing. <laughs> like You're doing <laughs> embarrassing things and making a fool out of yourself because it's all pretend. It's a like, what do you mean? Yeah. Like you draw the line at kissing a man. It's like, what the hell are you talking about? I am obviously, because of recent yes. events, not a fan of Will Smith. But if anybody was going to be singled out for a performance or any kind of interesting part of this movie, it should have been Will Smith. Yeah. I And I liked seeing his character when we realized who he was before the con and him learning mm -hmm. the con. I liked mm -hmm. seeing him as the um, down and out, like homeless guy. And I liked seeing more behind the scenes of him. I would have preferred to see some more of that and then going to do the con, whatever. Um, Stockard Channing was great, but she just, you know, she was very good at playing this snob and a name dropper and, you know, just mm -hmm. um, backing up Donald Sutherland's character all, all the time. But as you said, it's the last few minutes of the movie where I'm like, oh, oh God, okay, there, there's another emotion coming from her. <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. And, um, okay, a couple, uh, a, a fact about this movie I thought was interesting was that uh, Sidney Poitier actually said to Will Smith, like, well, you're almost handsome enough to be my son. So I thought that was kind uh -huh. of a little funny thing. <laughs> yeah. And um, yeah, I mean, I guess give Stockard Channing really the nomination for just carrying on that super long monologue of recounting the story of her experience with uh, Will Smith's character. But, you know, for me, um, you know, it's like when they go to like Harvard and they're talking to their their kids about the experience. And then they start speculating how Will Smith is like addicted to crack and he's a drug dealer. And you're like, oh, of course, the 90s tropes of racism. You're like, for sure. And then the kids are getting upset about it. And then they throw, oh, my God, when the fucking kids at Harvard were complaining about how how hard it is to have parents like that are rich and and they're like oh i hate you guys i'm at harvard and then remember that stupid kid is like having the fucking tantrum about how he doesn't have his pink shirt anymore and he's like and you're just like oh my god like it, it's like why are we focusing on these stupid kids and these and, the, and these stupid families when really we should be focusing on like again will smith and uh his arts, his artsy friends and, and how he became a con artist. It's like, there are so many missed opportunities in this movie where it's like, I find the thing that we're focusing on is really boring. It's not compelling. What we should be focusing on is uh, the more interesting part of like, Hey, like how did he get into con? Mm -hmm. And, and like whenever he, before he becomes this like high society, snobby, rich person, um, he's kind of like a, like he he like he could like what's the word like he can click like he's very urban he's very like tough he's very but then he switches his character and then he's suddenly very like you know it's like it, that to me is very interesting and it's like I wish I saw more of that journey and less of Donald Sutherland and Stalker Channing just talking about it yes yeah I agree with you 
Um, okay, well, is there anything else that you would like to add to Stalker Channing's performance uh, before we move on? Um, I uh, Like I say, I think she deserved the Oscar for learning the script. Uh, one note <laughs> I wrote down was, this movie is a pain in the hole. <laughs> <laughs> it is. I, I, it's not something that I would ever revisit. I would give anybody listening to this um, a full heads up that if you're not really like if you saw Ma Rainey's Black Bottom and you didn't like the way that that was done then you're really not going to like the movie Six Degrees of Separation. Or go see it live. Or go see it live. It's the the same thing although probably more expensive. Um, Okay so let's talk about Angela Bassett in What's Love Got to Do With It. So Angela Bassett is one of my favorite actresses, and it's really unfortunate that this is um, her only Academy Award nomination. Um, Lawrence Fishburne, who is playing uh, Ike Turner in this movie, she this movie, What's Love Got to Do With It, is uh, sort of a biographical movie of Tina Turner. Uh, Lawrence Fishburne, who plays Ike Turner, turned down the role five times until he heard that Angela Bassett was attached to it. Tina Turner wished that the film contained more truth, um, but the studio believed that the public would not believe everything, which I have no idea what the hell that means. It's a movie where audience members will believe whatever the fuck you put in front of us, but (laughs) they just chose to put up lies. So apparently a lot of this movie is false. Um, I don't understand that. Jennifer Lewis, who is playing um, Angela Bassett's mother in the movie, actually auditioned to play Tina Turner because... Jennifer Lewis is actually only one year older than Angela Bassett. (laughs) Yeah. And she played her mom, Um, (laughs) which is, which is ridiculous. Uh, The LA house that the movie take took place in where they have that like aquarium and the like recording studio was the actual house and decor that was owned by Ike and Tina Turner. Um, Tina Turner publicly said that she's never seen this movie. Um, and she says that most of the depiction of the film did not happen, as I previously mentioned. And just a little, uh, little fact, a little correction. If you've seen this movie, what's love got to do with it? Craig, her first son, um, was the child of Tina and Raymond Hill, the saxophone player for Kings of Rhythm, not Ike Turner. So so you really got to take this movie with a grain of salt. But the one thing that is absolutely true was the violent abuse from Ike Turner. Um, so I know that you said that this was a big reason why you wanted to do this episode. I'm very curious what your thoughts are. So what did you think about this movie? And what did you think about Angela Bassett's performance? Oh, now, listen, I went to see this in the cinema in Dublin when it first came out. I am a huge Tina Turner fan. Oh, same. Okay. So I just could not wait for this movie to come out. And when I remember wanting to stand up in the cinema in Dublin and dance in the middle of this, I was so moved (laughs) by her uh, performance and the music I loved anyway. I just adored her in this movie and I loved the movie and it's one of those movies that I watch and then I'm like I need to get on stage somewhere and perform immediately it (laughs) fires me up yeah I love it Uh I know exactly what you mean. Whenever you watch somebody like, do you remember when we did the movie, the turning point? (laughs) Jesus. Yes. (laughs) Well, I related to that because I understood. um, I remember Shirley MacLaine's character. It was just 
being in one art field and then moving on with your life and then seeing obviously that field continuing on without you. And, and then I'm like, it fired me up. I'm like, oh, now I want to get back into illustration. I want to get back into design. I want to get back into art. I know what you're saying where it's like these types of films and types of performances, they motivate you. Um, so talking about Angela Bassett specifically in this movie the i'm i'm also a huge tina turner fan the master blaster i am a really big uh i i remember when i was a kid my mom she always used to clean the house to um the the tape the cassettes of uh of i'm y'all proud of like i am a huge tina i love tina turner i think my favorite song by tina turner um, is probably We Don't Need Another Hero uh, from Mad Max, The Master Blaster. Um, also, my old lady voice that I do on stage all the time where I'm like, oh, well, that is from Tina Turner. Like when I was a kid, I used to think that Tina Turner's singing voice was the height of comedy and I loved it. Mm. So I learned to speak like an old lady because of <laughs> Tina Turner. Thank you, Tina. <laughs> <laughs> that's 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 that voice it's tina turner it's the pride of that 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 shrill like that she has um compliments to angela bassett for absolutely nailing the way that tina turner speaks in interviews the way that she carries herself on stage watching her in this movie i want angela bassett's arms um oh jesus christ i am ripped. sorry <laughs> she went too far when she was when she was doing her first solo performance towards the end of the movie she looked like the hulk i know but back in the the 60s that's what tina turner when she was performing with, or the 70s when she was performing with the rolling stones like that's what she looked like she was like jacked yes <laughs> um so talk but she really nails tina turner's voice and mannerisms and the way that she's like well today is a like she has a really wonderful way of, yeah. of of imitating the mannerisms and the way that she speaks my only criticism of angela bassett's performance of tina turner is that she doesn't then carry that mannerism into her other scenes now i don't know if if maybe tina turner is only like that in interviews and then maybe when she's not in interviews she doesn't talk like that and she doesn't like have that inflection and she doesn't take those pauses when she's just having a casual conversation and so maybe that was accurate and realistic to tina turner but if it wasn't that was my one criticism of this amazing performance from angela bassett was that she didn't keep the mannerisms and the isms whenever she was just having a, a casual conversation with her sister, with her mother, with her, uh, with her bandmates, with her friends, with Ike, she had like a different way of communicating yeah. with them. And, and I, I don't know if that was accurate or not, but I did notice that there was a difference there and of this amazing performance. That really is my only criticism. Yeah. And, and maybe it's, a, maybe it's a case of that's her when she is in Tina Turner mode. And right. that, and then when she's in private life, it's that's the only thing I could think of. Um, Jesus, she was fabulous. Lawrence Fishburne, you wanted to beat the head off him, like it was just. <laughs> and how they filmed those scenes, and even I was watching it with my kids. Um, this was my Mother's Day gift to me. The kids were like, "What you want to do?" I was like, "We are all watching What's Love Got to Do with Us." They're like, "What?" <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> You're I, like, trust me, trust me. I was like, <laughs> it's, it's a fun Disney movie. <laughs> I swear to God, I was like, pour mommy a massive glass of wine and we're going to watch this. <laughs> and of course, my son who has come out was all over it. The other son was oh, like yeah. halfway through, uh, can I go play Minecraft? I'm like, off you go. Um, <laughs> but the, the, the abuse scenes, holy shit. Mm-hmm. Those little kids, the two little boys, um, she's been dragged by her hair to the bedroom and he's kicking the shit out of her. And you can see mm-hmm. one boy hiding behind his toy car and the other boy putting his hands over his ears like that is real you're watching those Mm. those kids weren't acting and that disturbed me a little bit that's how good the movie is oh i know i mean do you remember at the sort of this is near the beginning of the film and um ike's i guess not really his wife but like his baby mama yeah girlfriends lorraine she comes in with a gun and is like gonna shoot tina tina's like please don't and then she ends up shooting herself you think that she's killing herself but i what did she, she shot herself in the arm? I did not, or? I wondered that. Where did she shoot herself? <laughs> I was a little confused. I kind of wanted that. brains all over the room, but no. Yeah. And then when Tina finds her, her reaction, and then she has to retreat back to the bed. And then you start to see that she realizes what she's gotten herself into, who she is associating with herself with. And then um, the uh, the woman she now is going to the hospital, she's not dead. Um, and then, uh, Tina now has to go down or anime as her real name is. She has to go downstairs and then Ike, uh, is, tries to make love to her and she's like, oh my God, what are you doing? Like your girlfriend or whatever literally just shot herself. And then suddenly like they're going to pound town five seconds later, she's clearly not okay with it. And the way that she's navigating these scenes and the moment it all flows in such a traumatic way, but she handles it in the way that the character would be handling it because clearly Tina Turner as a person has endured so much abuse in her life and she just goes along with it. And I think that Angela Bassett does a really good way of navigating those scenes without really coming off as a victim. Yeah. And, and nearly kind of like, I'm expecting this to happen, but it's a stepping stone to get where I want to. Yeah, like, she, there's so many layers to her reactions and, and to um, the just, it's and it's so difficult to watch. Like, the, the, the rape and the way that she is berated and insulted and... Um, and threatened in front of all of her friends and family by Ike. And they are all just standing by while this is happening. Like she's getting punched yeah. in the face, like over and over. And it, this goes on for so long. I mean, so, so Lawrence Fishburne, he was nominated for best lead actor. Angela Bassett was nominated for best lead actress. Now this was the first time um, since 1972 or 1973, that two um, African American people of color uh, were nominated for a lead and uh, uh, lead actor and lead actress um, f- at the Oscars, and the first time it was for the movie Sounder with uh, Cicely Tyson and um, Paul Winfield. So you know. There's a lot of firsts with this movie. Um, I did think it was really funny that Angela Bassett was lip syncing for her life. 
um, I through the Google whole movie. That. I had to Google because I thought she was so good. I was like, is it her singing? <laughs> oh, really? No, I knew because oh, Tina's voice sure. is so specific. There's no way Angela Bassett could sing like Tina. There's no way. Well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was, but it was a very, she was lip syncing for her life beautifully. Yes. Like it was. It was very convincing, absolutely. But no, for me, I, I was the moment that she started singing and she was singing like, you know, like the way Tina Turner so iconically sings, like I'm like, oh, she's lip syncing. But she did the things with her mouth and yes. and the way that, you know, whenever Tina, whenever she's like doing her proud Mary thing and it's like, she'll put her arm out to the left and then she swings her head to the left and then she bops it back to the right. Like she just had all the mannerisms and all the way that Tina does it and then she also is like doing these horribly graphic abuse like you see the full journey from adolescence to adulthood and um it's so satisfying when he starts attacking her this is in the 70s at this point because the movie starts in the 50s we're in the 70s at this point they're in a limo and he's just fucking coming for her and then she finally fights back she kicks him in the balls and she's punching him they check into a hotel covered in blood, covered in bruises, covered in cuts. Everyone is staring at them. And then you have to wonder, like, did that actually happen? I know. I liked, I, I shouldn't say I liked to think that happened. I I, right. I believed it happened. The movie. Mm-hmm. I just believed everything. Mm-hmm. I thought her performance was so amazing. I believed everything that was happening in that movie. It's when she begs for the hotel room at the other hotel that she runs to and she um is she just says she's like i am tina turner she's like can you please just let me have a room i will pay you back and i and then the 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 manager is like of course it would be like you would have it for free it'd be an honor if you were to stay with us i literally thought that for some reason the manager was going to be like nice try lady hit the road (laughs) um but you know and then again i have to wonder like did that happen this is based on a book called um i tina so i'd be very curious to actually read that book because it's a very if if you are a victim of domestic violence in any capacity, uh, you know, I maybe wouldn't recommend watching this movie because it, it's very real, it's very dark, and it's very hard to watch. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, I really just, this is certainly Angela Bassett at her best. Oh. And um, what was there any particular scene that was maybe a standout for you that was maybe your favorite? I have two. I have when she came to visit her friend Jackie. And her friend Jackie Mm. wouldn't put up, like Ike hit her once. And Jackie was like, you only need to hit me once. I'm out. And she leaves. And she's like, Tina, she shouts at her, you're a dead woman if you stay with him. And so Mm -hmm. years later, um, Tina and Jackie reconnect. Jackie visits her in the hospital and hands her an address and is like, if you ever need me, this is where you can find me. And then left her to her own choices because she was so deep in the abuse she didn't know how to get out. She wasn't even sure if she wanted to, you know, it was so messed up. And then she finally does go visit Jackie. And the scene for me is when they're making fun of Ike and she's, and they're both doing impressions of him. And then uh, Jackie starts doing the impression of Ike being abusive. Tina does one. Then Jackie does one again, but she walks out of the room. So she can't see Tina and you can see Tina realize, uh, Oh my God. Everybody could see this abuse. It was. I just thought that scene of her stopping 
mm-hmm. and realizing. And uh, I thought that scene was amazing. Um, the other scene that I loved, and this is as a divorced woman um, speaking, <laughs> you know, this got my blood boiling when she's in court and she's like, mm-hmm. he can have everything. I, I like after how hard she has worked for years mm-hmm. and she's like, he can have everything. I just want my name. I worked too hard and too long for that name. I want my name. And I was like, oh my God, that's amazing. Because I kept my married name because I'm happy to drag that through the mud. No problem. (laughs) (laughs) But she didn't get her royalties. That's the one thing that pissed me off is that he kept all the royalties, but she just got to keep her stage name. And I was like, well, that fucking sucks. I mean, just watching her in this movie made me feel exhausted. Like whenever he like springs her out of the hospital after she just gave birth or like just making her go out and perform whenever she was clearly exhausted. I was like, for fuck, get this woman a divorce and a Sandals Beach Resort vacation. Like she (laughs) just needs a fucking weekend getaway or a fucking month long getaway. She was... It was just, and when she was so jacked, I was like, where do you have time to go to the gym and to get so jacked? Like she has no, anyway, um, I think just for time's sake that we, we should move on. But um, Angela Bassett at her best, um, I've, I've seen this movie multiple times. I love it. If you haven't seen it, definitely watch it. Even though there are apparently so many inaccuracies, I would like to read the book, um, I, Tina, to actually you know, get the the real um, account of everything, but uh, uh, very well acted, and uh, I very much love this movie. Do you have anything else that you would like to add before we move on? I'm going to be devastated when Tina Turner dies, and Angela Bassett deserved everything. How old is Tina Turner well, now? Like? Let me tell you, Kyle, I went to see her live in Dublin about 14 years ago, and she must have been in her 70s, and holy shit... That woman was incredible. <laughs> she did all the dancing, all the routines, came out in the Mad Max outfit, went on a crane, like a big arm crane, over the audience, hanging out of it, touching all our hands. Like I could have just died <laughs> happy right there and then. The floor in the stadium wow. was shaking when she did Proud Mary. We were all, like the Irish people get very into concerts, so all singing, all jumping up and down. <laughs> it was like one massive karaoke, and I just, oh, amazing. Wow, I it's okay. So I, she's eighty two. Yeah, she's old. Wow, and she can she can do it. I love it. Okay, great. Well, uh, hopefully you'll have a chance to see her again in concert. I doubt it. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to see Tina Turner coming out like in a walker, like bringing the thunder. Like I feel like she could do it. <laughs> I feel like she could really. I feel like she would nail it. Um, okay, so let's talk about our winner this year for best actress. Holly Hunter in the movie The Piano. And um, I'd seen this movie before. I absolutely love this movie. So very quickly, a little synopsis. In the mid-19th century, a mute woman is sent to New Zealand along with her young daughter and prized piano for an arranged marriage to a farmer but is soon lusted after by a farm worker played by Harvey Keitel. Um, So... Uh, Anna Paquin famously won the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress. I think she was 10 when she won. Everybody thought it was going to be Winona for The Age of Innocence, including Daniel Day-Lewis. He was shocked that uh, Anna Paquin won, and we haven't really heard much from her at the Academy Award anymore. Uh, Anna Paquin actually only saw this movie in 2009 because she was too young at the, uh, obviously when this movie came out, 
there were very explicit scenes that were inappropriate for her to uh, actually watch. Um, and okay, so Holly Hunter is, she plays the piano in the movie because she's mute. The piano is a symbol for her voice, for her expression, for her passion. Mm-hmm. Um, Holly Hunter learned how to play the piano at age nine and actually played most of the piano in the scenes herself. She learned sign language for this movie as a way to communicate to her child, Anna Paquin. Um, this was not uh, said, but in the book by Jane Campion, uh, she actually says that uh, Flora's father, um, Anna Paquin's character, Flora, her father is actually um, Ada's former piano teacher. So just a little fact about that. Um, Jane Campion became the first woman to win the Palme d'Or at the Cannes Film Festival, but couldn't accept it because she was giving birth. And you know that there was some old stuffy man that was like, you see, this is why we don't award (laughs) women because they're off giving birth women. Um, And there, oh, and this is something that I found very interesting. Jane Campion originally wanted Sigourney Weaver for this role as the lead. And she reached out to her manager and her manager was like, oh, no, Sigourney's taking time off because she wants to spend time with her daughter. Um, And until she does that, she won't be returning to work. And then he was like, but I have another client, Holly Hunter, that I think would be perfect for the role. And that is how Holly Hunter got this um, Oscar winning role. And, And Sigourney Weaver didn't know about it, later found out about it because Jane Campion spoke to her about it and she was very upset with her manager and was very upset that he didn't um, speak to her first before rejecting it. So let's talk about Holly Hunter in this movie. She is Scottish, um, which is interesting because I'm always so used to that voice that Holly Hunter has whenever she's talking and she's like, this is so hard for me, you know, but whenever in this movie, she sort of has that very Scottish sort of voice. And, you know, so it's interesting to sort of see that, that range in her um it's very she only has a narration at the beginning and at the end uh but she absolutely nails the scottish accent or at least i think that she does <laughs> um and uh have you seen this movie before and um what did you think about holly hunter's performance in it i have seen the movie before and i i wasn't in all of it back then i preferred it this time around as an adult mm-hmm. i guess um i appreciated it more um I thought Holly Hunter was great in it. I do feel a little bit, and I know people are not going to be happy when they hear me say this. I do feel a little bit, is it cheating playing a mute and you have no lines? (laughs) Um, And then you win an Oscar and I'm looking at Stockard Channing eating like telephone books. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, yeah. Yeah, like she had, like, you know, come on. It's all inner monologue, yeah. Yeah, I, I, maybe she won the award for playing the piano. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, here's the thing. I always find it very impressive whenever an actor can non-verbally communicate exactly what the character wants, needs, and what's, what it is that they are going through. Um, I do think um, that she is very successful at that because you can always tell what's going on inside. I've seen this movie before, obviously, for this podcast. I love this movie. I think the only thing that I was not convinced of was that she was so against her husband, Sam Neill, who, in my opinion, is such a fucking babe, and instead decides to have an affair with Harvey Keitel. 
Absolutely not. He has a really hot bod. I will give him that, mm. but he has such an old man grumpy face mm. on the hot bod. So it's just kind of ruined for me. That's the one thing that I did not buy about this movie. They should have been switched. It should have been Sam Neill was like the the one of the farmers and and that like had an affair with her or yes. something. Um, but uh, Holly Hunter is incredible in this movie. I am such a fan of. Um, not only the cinematography, but the way of the pacing of it. Um, I, I love uh, like how, again, I'm always very impressed by nonverbal communication. There was no question of how she felt or what she was going through or why she felt that way. Um, I do have to say though, and I, I am, this is specifically for you, Fiona, this question is, I am curious watching this movie um, whenever you immigrated to Canada, did they make you wear a bonnet and a giant hoop skirt? <laughs> yes, they did. <laughs> and I came I by like... boat with my Casio keyboard. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I'm like, wow, that really sucked for women back then having to wear all that fucking shit. Well, I tell you this much. Do you know what? It builds up the anticipation of the ride. Yeah. <laughs> by the time you What's get under off, there? you off, you're gagging first, right? <laughs> like they, it's like a reveal, like oh, a velociraptor's under here, or like, <laughs> like there's so many buttons, and there's so many bows, and there's hoops, and then there's more layers, and then there's gloves, and then there's stockings, and then there's it just kept going. By that time, I think I would have had about three orgasms before your man even got to my skin. <laughs> I know. So the, the build up of the anticipation for me was like a. I was like, oh, Jesus Christ, you know, just get to it. Um, yeah. Harvey Keitel has a fabulous arse. I just had that oh, as yeah. a note down. I agree. Uh, my I agree. other note was I definitely would have shagged him and Sam Neill. No problem. <laughs> the mutton chops, let me tell you, I think need to come back. I don't know what it is. I am very pro mutton chops. I think they're very sexy on a man. Oh like leave God. Schreiber with mutton chops? Absolutely. Wow. Okay. I'm not yeah. going with that. Um, <laughs> the, I, I thought she was great in it. I thought the chemistry be between her and Harvey Keitel, the, that, that character, I thought that was re I could feel it coming off the screen. I thought that was amazing. Um, mm -hmm. Maybe I'm a little bit too shallow with the nonverbal, but <laughs> I, I like it's a fabulous movie. It, it, like I do think it's a masterpiece. Um, I do feel that Flora needed to be put into therapy after having to be her mother's translator because the mother's choosing not to speak and yeah. <laughs> being left outside in the mud for literally the whole bloody movie. Um, I, 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 it was, it, it's a brilliant movie and it's brilliant acting and the, the, the piano is just this big symbol of, of her emotion in the middle of it. And, and like when, when, the piano loses a key and then she loses a digit. It was nearly like there were the one thing, you know, um, the symbolism of it or else I'm reading yeah. far too much into it. No, that, yeah, yeah, no, that, that was definitely it. I, I think, I think though that, you know, um, so whenever Sam Neill, you know, takes off her finger, you have to ask, did he take off her finger because he didn't want her to play the piano because of the affair or did he take off her finger because she stuck it up his butt? Yeah, now I was wondering, he was, yeah, like he pulled up his trousers when she was playing with his arse and I was like, hang on, isn't that where their G-spot is? Don't they yeah, want that's... you to do that? 
I always found that scene very curious. I always love whenever I watch a movie and you see something like that and you're like, wait, what? And it's like something not only because it's like you're not used to seeing that in a movie, but also because you're actually genuinely left with the question like, what is going on? Yeah, well, like a little side note, the guy I was dating when this movie was out, I definitely said, I'm going to put my finger up your butt just to see if you like it. And and what was the verdict? He, didn't uh, he like did. It. Okay. He didn't like. Oh, it. he didn't like it. Oh. Well, well he said he didn't like it. I don't believe. <laughs> <laughs> um, I feel like all of these natives were just so sick of this white bitch that we're like, okay, get her the fuck out of here. They sent her away. But, I mean, if you really are watching this movie, I think that what 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 Sam Neill really needed to understand is that when you're watching this relationship, it's like Holly Hunter is like a house cat and Sam Neill is like the owner of the cat. And it's like, you cannot force a cat to do anything. You cannot force a cat will come to you when they are ready. You cannot force anything yes. to happen the whole time. Cause like I am a cat owner and Daniel has what I call special kid grip. <laughs> Okay, where it's like they squeeze the cat a little too hard and they don't realize that they're doing it. Do you know what I'm saying? Daniel grew up on a farm and he is so rough with animals. I don't know what the hell. I don't know. I'm like, Daniel, you are so bad (laughs) with animals. I don't know what it is, but he has such an issue with the cat. I'm like, no, you have to be gentle. You have to let the cat come to you. And I feel like Holly Hunter and Samuel, it was like watching my boyfriend and my cat trying to get along. And it's like, no, 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 Sam, your problem, you're a good looking guy. You just, you got to let her put her finger up your butt. You got to let her play the piano. You got to let her have these things. But because you're not letting her be a cat and you're not letting her have these moments, you're never going to get Holly Hunter on your side. But I loved the fact that she was mute and that she had to use her daughter to communicate all of these very adult things in their own sort of way. I absolutely love this movie. I absolutely love Holly Hunter in it. And I absolutely love all of the... Because you can tell that it's directed by by a woman because you see men objectified. You never see that in movies, especially like back in the day. And it's just really refreshing to see men presented in a very sort of sexy way. Yes. I'm all for it. (laughs) Okay. Um, Okay. Well, do you have anything else that you would like to add to Holly Hunter's performance before we select who we think should have won? No. And I, and what you said about Sigourney Weaver, I don't think it would have worked. I think Holly Hunter, um, physically this Mm -hmm. works her, how her look is for me is what, and and I don't, I think Sigourney would have been too much of a presence on screen to work in this character well because she's so tall yes yeah i i was thinking the exact same thing i was like i could i can buy anna paquin as holly hunter's daughter i don't think i could buy anna paquin as sigourney's daughter yes she yeah i i don't know if i could see her in something like that like sigourney would have definitely put her fist up uh sam's arse Yeah, she's killing intergalactic aliens <laughs> on a spaceship. Like, she's not, yeah, she's not having any of that. Um, okay. Well, okay, so you are my guest, so please reveal who you think that the Oscar should have gone to. I think the Oscar should have gone to... Angela Bassett. <laughs> for the most I'm incredible shocked. performance ever. 
<laughs> so why specifically Angela over everybody else? The passion that you got the full range of emotions. You got watching her being a little shy teenager to evolving into this mega star and all the ups and downs of the relationship. I believed every single word that came out of her mouth, every single thing she acted on that screen. I was there for everything. And I thought she was fabulous in it. Love it. Okay, I will go ahead. So I think that the Oscar should have gone to... Angela Bassett for What's Love Got to Do With It. I completely agree with you. I think that Holly Hunter deserved the Oscar. I'm glad that she has an Oscar. However, if you are a fan of this podcast, you know that I awarded Holly Hunter the Academy Award for Broadcast News. I think that she was more deserving of that Oscar. I think that this is such an incredible performance by her, and I can totally see why she won but I do think there's way more to Angela Bassett. I do think that there's way, you see a full journey for Angela Bassett. I think that Holly Hunter's performance is maybe a little, it appeals to more like artsy audiences yeah. where I feel like um, right now it really, to me just comes down to personal taste. Frankly, it's a tie for me between Holly Hunter and Angela Bassett. But I think that in today's social climate, if this was the same nominees, but it was the year 2022, you know that Angela Bassett would be walking away with that Oscar, not just because of the fact that it's an incredible performance, but also because of the fact that she is a lead um, person of color, which apparently just seems to be so rare in the Oscars, you know, and uh, she fucking knocked it out of the park. Yeah. And I, I think it's sad that Angela Bassett hasn't been nominated for more Oscars and the fact that she doesn't even have an Oscar. Um, I think that uh, the, the highlight for me with Angela Bassett in um, What's Love Got to Do With It is the way that she handles all these traumatic events in her life, but also the way that she handles herself in interviews. And it's just so how Tina Turner talks. And after I watched the movie, I started listening to all of the hits so did I. by Tina. <laughs> so, <laughs> so if anything, just you know, it, just to, to, to have her inspire you to want to listen to more Tina Turner songs and to even read the book to find out what really happened, I think that that speaks volumes. Um, so for me, it's Angela Bassett. Yes. I feel like I want to sing. I'm like, I know. I'm like, like, good job in the city. <laughs> <laughs> we got to do karaoke. Okay. So Fiona O'Brien, thank you so much for doing this podcast. Where can people find you on social media? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at real Fiona O uh, and on Facebook, but that's kind of dying. Oh, and TikTok, please. I'm growing my TikTok at real Fiona O. I've got 20,000 people looking at my foolishness. I love it. Okay, well, congratulations on that. And we'll definitely have to have you back again. See you next time. Bye.